D'accord. As you saw, for the last year, we've partnered with an organization called the Timothy Initiative, and they exist to put churches in places where people have never heard about Jesus Christ before. And you just think in the world we live in with the internet, you would think everybody has heard about Jesus. But there are still places in this world that if you go up to someone and you go, Jesus loves you, he died for your sins on the cross, he rose again, they've never heard about that before. They've never had the opportunity to hear that life-changing message that could give them eternal life. And so last year in our Heaven on Earth series, we challenged our church to give a million dollars. And we said, we're going to give all of it away. We're not going to keep any of it for our church and our buildings or anything like that. We're going to give all of it away to help the least of these around the world. And part of that, a quarter of a million went to the Timothy Initiative. And as our teams were in Nepal and India recently, they would go into these house churches and they would ask, how many of you have come to faith in Christ in the last seven months? Every single hand would go up in the air. And the person who runs the Timothy Initiative said, this is the result of Eagle Brook Church. We would not be able to do what we're doing without your generosity and involvement. So I'm so proud of every single one of you that gave to the Heaven on Earth Fund and wanted to update you on where that's all going and how God is using it. By the way, you might have noticed in that video that he talked about people being demon-possessed and, and having demons exercised or people being healed, having a physical healing take place in their life. And you may have wondered, well, is that real? Because we don't see a lot of that in America today. But here's what I believe. I believe in places of the world that are so spiritually dark that there needs to be a supernatural, miraculous act of God to authenticate the message of Jesus Christ. That in places where they've never heard the gospel before, they've never heard about Jesus Christ, that there needs to be a miracle or something happen that would authenticate that message. You see it with Jesus in the New Testament. That's what he did. He spent his time casting out demons and healing people. And we don't experience that in America today because we're just sort of immune to it. We sort of just, yeah, yeah, I've heard about Jesus. And we're kind of just comfortable where we're at. And there's some positives of that and there's some negatives of that. But in other places of the world where they've never heard, God moves in powerful, miraculous ways. All right, today we are in the final week of a series called it, A Little Bit of Wisdom Goes a Long Way. And that is so true. A little bit of wisdom does go a long way. But the hard thing about wisdom is it's hard to find. It takes a skill that not a lot of us are good at, which is listening. When I was growing up, uh, I used to laugh at my dad because he wasn't always the best listener. There's a few stories that are kind of legendary around our family. One of them was my dad was in the front yard. I think he was planting a tree or something. And our neighbor came over. He had been up north hunting that weekend, and he had lost his favorite hunting dog. So he came over, and he goes to my dad. He goes, oh, I was up north hunting this weekend. My dad goes, ah, oh, great. He said, I lost my dog. I said, that's great. Way to go. The guy's like, I lost my dog. Another time, there was this couple over at our house, and I don't even really remember who they were, but they were really excited about Guns N' Roses, the heavy metal band. And this is not the kind of music my dad would normally listen to. But they were going on and on about it and talking about this upcoming concert. And all of a sudden, my dad looks at them and goes, might have to check that one out. And I'm looking up at him as a 10-year-old going, huh? And all of a sudden, this couple goes, we can get you tickets. We've got two extra tickets to the Guns N' Roses concert. I thought, are we going to Guns N' Roses together, Dad? 
But I had this moment about a month ago where all of a sudden I had this rather scary thought that some of you have already had at some point in your life, and the thought was this, Jason, you are becoming your father. <laughs> My wife was leaving the house, and as she did, she yelled downstairs to me. She said, hey, Isabel needs to be picked up at 8 o'clock from Lauren's birthday party. Lauren is a neighbor girl who lives down the street. She said some other stuff, but I wasn't really listening. But at 8 o'clock, I knew I had to go get Isabel from this birthday party, so I started walking down towards their houses, and I'm going to need to draw this out for you, okay? Otherwise, you're probably not going to understand this. But at one part in our house, or our neighborhood, there are three houses, and they're right in a row with one another. This house has five kids. This house has seven kids. This house has three kids. So you can see my issue already. There's 15 kids on this one little stretch of our neighborhood. I can't even remember my five kids' names half the time. And in this house, you've got a mom and a dad. In this house, you've got a mom and a dad. And the dad in this house and the mom in this house are brother and sister with each other. You see why I have to draw this out? Because every time I've tried to just verbally explain this story, people are like, wait. The brother and sister are married to each other? And I'm like, we do live in Ham Lake, but no. That's not, what's, that's not what's happening here, okay? So they're brother and sister, so their kids look really similar to me. So at 8 o'clock, I went down, I knocked on the door of house number 2. And I heard somebody yell, come in. I opened the door, I came walking in, and it was weird. Right away, I'm like... There was no birthday cake. There was no balloons. There was no you know, group of little girls running around playing with each other. Instead, the mom was sitting on the couch on her laptop. The dad was watching the twins game. And right as I came in, the dad kind of jumped up. And we don't know each other real well yet, so he didn't even know who I was. I'm walking into his house, and he's kind of squinting at me. Finally, he goes, oh, oh, hey, hey, how are you? I said, great, how are you guys doing? And I don't know why I thought this, but in my brain, I thought, the girls are downstairs in the basement watching a movie. <laughs> and so I kept waiting for this couple to go, hey, we'll go downstairs and get Isabel, but they never did. So we stood in their entryway for 28 minutes. <laughs> I was talking to them about the twins. I was talking to them about their kids' baseball tournament. We were just talking away. At one point... The dad kind of looked at me and he goes, so what are you doing tonight? I said, nothing. My wife's just at an event, just hanging out. He kind of nodded at me a little bit. Two minutes later, he goes, are you from the game night across the street? I said, didn't even know there was a game night happening. He kind of squinted at me a little again. Finally, after 28 minutes, I said, you know what, you guys, I really ought to be going. I'll go downstairs and just grab Isabel. They said, is Isabel at the birthday party? I said, yeah. She said, that's at my brother's house next door. I said, really? <laughs> Later on, the wife texted my wife, and she was like, we were just kind of hanging out going, I don't know why we're hanging out, but I guess we're going to hang out tonight. <laughs> but I realized in that moment, I need some wisdom. I am not the best listener. 
Wouldn't you agree that it's true that people make bad decisions when they're not listening? Teenagers, you will make bad decisions when you don't listen to your parents. And I realize that all the teenagers right now are like, that is the dumbest thing you've ever said. I used to like you, but now I like Bob more than I like you. But I'm just going to tell you, it's true. When you don't listen to your parents, you will make usually bad decisions. Same thing holds true for adults, that when you don't listen to God, when you just go, you know what, I don't, I'm sure the Bible has something to say about that, but I don't really know what it is, and I'm not going to ask other Christians for their advice, I'm just going to kind of do what seems right to me, you are potentially on your way to multiple bad decisions. Solomon pinpointed this years ago in the book of Proverbs. When he said things like this, he said, whoever listens to me, this is God speaking, whoever listens to me will live in safety. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. This is just a sampling. 23 times in the book of Proverbs, Solomon uses this word, listen. And all the verses basically say the same thing. If you will listen to advice, if you will listen to God, then you will gain wisdom and your life will go well. The problem is that oftentimes when making decisions, we tend to listen not to godly wisdom, but to worldly wisdom. What is worldly wisdom? Worldly wisdom is this way that just seems right to the majority of people who live in America today. That there are just certain cliches, you hear them in conversation, you see them on social media, we all kind of just believe them to be true. We don't really think about why they're true or if they're true, it's just, they're, they're just true, we think. Solomon pinpoints this as well. Proverbs 12, 15, he says, the way of fools seems right to them. In other words, there's a worldly wisdom that if you just go, you know what, I'm not going to listen to what godly people have to say about this. I'm not going to listen to what God says about this. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm just going to follow my heart and do what seems right to me. Solomon says you might be on your way to making a bad decision. But the wise, what do they do? They listen to advice. That's godly wisdom. Ever since January, I've been reading through the book of Proverbs, and as I did, I was surprised at how many times Solomon uses the word better. He frequently says, this is better than that. And every time I read one of these verses, I caught myself going, really? Because most of my friends, most of the people I know in the world today, they'd say the exact opposite. They'd say that that is better than this. In other words, there's a difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And God says godly wisdom is better. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if God wants you to do something, if God asks you to do something, he's not trying to restrict you? He's not trying to hold you back, but he really does want the best for your life. As I teach through three of these verses that use the word better, I want you to be thinking to yourself, which one of these is God speaking to you today? Of these three verses, which is the one where you're going, oh God, I needed that reminder. I needed to be told that today and be reminded of what's better. Here's the first verse that uses this word better. 
It's Proverbs 16, 32. Solomon says, it is better to be patient than powerful. It is better to have self-control than to conquer a city. If I were to ask you, what would you rather have? Would you rather have self-control or would you rather own Paris, France? Which one would you pick? If I asked you, would you rather be the president or would you rather be patient? Which one of those two do you think is better? Most of the people who live in our world today would go, oh, give me the powerful position. Give me the city. Because if I had that kind of power, people would look up to me. People would love me and I'd feel better about myself. But Solomon says that's actually not better. It's better to be a patient person. Another translation of this verse says, a patient person is better than a warrior. A warrior has learned to conquer cities and other people. A patient person has learned to conquer themselves. I was watching the NBA Finals a few weeks ago between the Toronto Raptors and the Golden State Warriors, and there was this moment when Kyle Lowry, who was the point guard for the Toronto Raptors, he was chasing a loose ball, and he dove to kind of save it from going out of bounds, and he ended up falling into the first row. This game was being played in Oakland at Oracle Arena, and so the front row was filled with Golden State Warrior fans. The man that Kyle Lowry fell into was a man named Mark Stevens. Mark is a 7% minority owner in the Golden State Warriors. He is a venture capitalist worth billions of dollars. But as Kyle Lowry fell into him, the opposing team's point guard, Mark Stevens just snapped. You can watch the video of this. But as you see from this picture, he reaches out to shove Kyle Lowry. And then as Lowry stood up, he began to yell vulgarities at him. Stevens was later escorted out of the game. He was fined $500,000 by the NBA. And he was banned from attending an NBA game for a full year. Guy is a 7% minority owner in the team. He is a billionaire venture capitalist. He has conquered Silicon Valley. He's conquered business. He's conquered his financial portfolio. But the one thing he has not conquered is his temper. I can relate. I've never pushed an NBA player. I've never yelled vulgarities at someone that I can remember. But there are times when I ask my kids to do something and they don't listen to me and I just snap. And I say things and do things that later I have to profusely apologize for. You see, you'd think it would be easier to control your temper than it would be to control a city. But Solomon says, actually, that's not true. It's harder to control your temper. So let me ask you, is there an area of your life where your lack of self-control is causing trouble? A lack of self-control at work or home with your words or with your actions, but it's causing trouble in your life. Don't overlook this. How many more people have to lose their marriage, their job, or their career before we recognize that it's better to be patient than it is to be powerful? See, most people in our world today think, oh, I want the powerful position. I want to gain that, that prestige. But Solomon says, that's not better. Your spouse doesn't need someone who's more powerful. They need you to be more patient. 
and to overlook some of their faults. Your kids don't need you to conquer Wall Street or conquer your business. They need you to conquer your temper. How is that going to happen? Well, for some of us, this is going to take a while. A first step might be to tell someone in your small group or a friend and just confess, I'm really struggling with my temper lately. For others of you, you might say, you know what, I need to meet with a pastor and say, you know, I've controlled so many things in life, but I can't get control of this and I need your help. For some of us, you might just want to memorize this verse to remind yourself it's better to be patient than it is to be powerful. Solomon says that's actually better. Here's the second verse that uses the word better. Don't demand an audience with the king or push for a place among the great. It is better to wait for an invitation than to be sent to the end of the line. In the ancient world, there was a pecking order. Still kind of is. But if you went to a feast or a party back then, people were seated based upon their social standing and importance. So if you were, had high social standing, you would sit at the right hand of the host. And then every other person in importance would kind of go down the line from there. If you wanted to see the king about a matter in your life, get in line. Some people were more powerful and could kind of push their way to the front of the line, but there was a line. And so Solomon says something here that's still applicable to us today. He says, better to be at the end of the line and have someone go, wait a minute, you, you, you get up here. You're, you're supposed to be up here. Then to go marching to the front of the line like you're the man and have someone go, buddy, you, you think you're a little more important than you are. You need to go to the end of the line. Better to wait for other people to notice you than to try to make someone notice you. My wife and I went to prom together my senior year of high school, and prior to prom, they had this thing called the prom march. And it was really simple. You just walked out with your date, you paused for pictures, and then you walked off the stage. Before Sarah and I were about to go off, they were giving us some instructions. But honestly, I wasn't really listening. Apparently, this is an issue for me ever since... High school, but they were giving us instructions, and the instructions were walk out to the archway, pause underneath the archway for pictures, and then back out of the archway and exit stage left. I wasn't listening because I was having this daydream. And my daydream was, man, I'm looking good in my tuxedo. I got my goatee freshly trimmed. I'm going to walk out there and all the guys are going to be like, oh, dude, what a stud. And all the girls are going to be like, oh, my goodness. And I thought, I am going to get noticed. So Sarah and I walk out. We pause underneath the archway. But instead of backing out and exiting to the left, I just kept going. I heard someone in the audience yell out like, oh. And I don't remember this, but Sarah says that I turned to her and said, they're loving us right now. And to make things even worse, I wasn't looking what was in front of me. I was looking at some of my friends out in the audience. I was like, what's up, dude? And I walked straight into a decorative tree. And it was like dominoes. Tree number one hit tree number two. Tree number two hit tree number three. Tree number three hit tree number four. Tree number four hit a lit up archway that went crashing into the audience. People were snapping pictures. I'm glad there was no Instagram but my tuxedo button got caught on the first tree. So I was standing there like this, 
as all this is happening, and my wife just had her hands over her face. Little did she know I was her future husband. No wonder she couldn't resist me. But here's my point. None of us want to be noticed when we knock over the trees. When we fail at something, when we mess up, when we sin, we're like, oh, I really don't want people to see that. I really don't want people to notice that. Let's just kind of keep that hidden and to ourselves. But when we do something well, when we look good in our tuxedo and our goatee, well, yeah, we want people to notice us then. When we do something really smart, we want the credit for that. When we do something and we're successful, we want people to recognize and, and give us attention for that. And so there's something inside each of us that when we do something well, we go, did people see? And there's this temptation to go, I need to make people see. I need to make people notice. If I'm going to get my opportunity, if I'm going to get my chance, well, then I need to what? I need to demand and I need to push. But Solomon says, which is better? Is it better to quietly work hard and wait for your opportunity? Or is it better to push and demand and self-promote and make sure people see what you've done? Solomon talks about this over and over again in Proverbs. He says this, better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, you know what? I want to be lowly and oppressed today. But Solomon says it would actually be better if you were humble and low than to be prosperous and prideful. Solomon says it would be better for you to wait for an invitation than to be sent to the end of the line. Let me get really practical with you here for a moment because ever since I started thinking about this verse six months ago, God has brought it to my mind multiple times. One time I was sitting around a table at work and we were talking about an idea that had gone really well. And the way I remembered it was, it was my idea. But nobody seemed to remember that. In fact, one other person was kind of seemingly taking credit for it being their idea. And everything in me wanted to go, hey, don't, don't you remember? That, that was my idea. I, I, I brought that up. And then God just brought this verse to my mind. Better to let other people notice than to try to make them notice. Another time my son was playing in an AAU game and he was playing against a really good AAU basketball team that he would maybe want to play on in the future. And he had such a good game that at the end of the game I thought to myself, maybe I should go up to that coach and say, hey, didn't you see how well he played? Maybe you'd want to have him on your team next year. And then I thought, you know what? Better to wait for an invitation and just quietly work hard than to try to push and demand and be told, mm, actually, no, go to the end of the line. Is there a place in your life like that? No need to raise any hands, but how many of us here today feel overlooked? So many people feel this way. We go, you know what, those people up on third floor on the leadership team, they don't know me. I don't even think they know my name. They don't understand the contributions I make to this company. I'm just overlooked around here. Maybe you grew up in a family where you had a brother or sister that demanded a lot of attention from your parents. And you went through your whole life just going, I just feel overlooked. And everything in you goes, you know what? I got to broadcast myself. I got to get some attention. I got to be noticed. Here's some godly advice. 
Just trust God. Just trust God. Work hard. Develop your skills. And believe that if God wants you to get that recognition, if God wants you to get that fame, then you'll get it. But that might not be the best thing for some of us. Solomon says there is a better way. Here's a third verse that uses this word better. I just love this. A bowl of soup with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. I've always said I would rather be in Iowa, Iowa with my wife than in Hawaii with someone I don't like. And that's saying something if you know me. But that's what Solomon is saying here. He's saying it's better for you to have some minestrone soup. It's better for you to have some Campbell's thick and chunky with someone you love than to be at Manny's Steakhouse and have a 16-ounce ribeye with someone you don't even like. Is steak better than soup? Yeah, it is. But sometimes better circumstances, better stuff, isn't always best. You can eat at the finest restaurants. You can have the newest technology, nicest car, coolest clothes. And if you don't have a few people who love you, then you are poor. I recently had to get rid of my 2001 Toyota Highlander. It had over 200,000 miles on it, and it kind of had reached that point. But I didn't want to get rid of it. In fact, I had called my wife, and I said, hey, I need you to make an appointment for my Highlander to take it in. She said, well, what's wrong with it? I said, well, the back tires are leaking. You can start to see the treads, which is a little bit scary. I said, I have to fill it up with air at least once a week. I said, and then when you let your foot off the brake at a gaslight, it makes a wonk sound. It's like, wonk, and it kind of grinds a little bit. I said, my brakes froze up on me a week ago. That was a little scary for a minute or two. I said, and then there's something dangling from the front under the car. It's like a plastic cover that's just hanging off the edge. I said, every time I pull into a parking spot, it grates against the pavement, and it just scares everybody. I had a coworker up in his office, and all of a sudden he heard this noise. He looked out the window, and he's like, oh, Strand is parking. <laughs> so I said, I need to get that fixed up a little bit. I said, and then it's burning. There's, there's something that's burning. When I get out of the car in my garage, I can just smell it. It's either the rear back axle or the exhaust. Both of them are really hot to the touch. I said, there's a few things I need to have fixed. She said, Jason, we're never going to get our money back on that. Just the tires alone are going to cost more than that car is worth. So we decided to sell the car and get a new one. And I noticed as I was going through these brochures for newer cars, how many of them talked about being connected. One of them boasted that they had eight USB ports. I thought, why do I need eight USB ports? Another one said they had 4G Wi-Fi hotspots in the back seat. They all talked about being connected. And I thought, that's just it. We're connected to devices, but we're not connected to one another. We're on road trips going like this, and nobody's talking to each other. We're at dinner going, hey, did you see what so-and-so posted? But we're not asking each other questions. That's not better. Better to drive a 2001 Toyota Highlander with something dangling off the front with somebody that you love than to drive a new luxury car with someone that you don't like. It's because relationships trump circumstances 
every single time. So how are your relationships these days? When you look at your relationship with your kids, when you look at your relationship with your roommates or your spouse or your coworkers, how would you say your relationships are these days? You can be doing poorly in multiple areas of life, your finances, your health, but if you have a couple people who love you, then you are rich. Billy Graham used to tell a story about a time that he was vacationing at a billionaire's uh, uh, retreat in a, off a Caribbean island. And at lunch, this billionaire began to bare his soul a little bit. And he said to Billy Graham, he said, you know what? I've got a private plane, I've got a helicopter, and I've got a yacht. And I'm the most miserable man on this island. After lunch, Billy and his wife Ruth were walking along the beach. And they bumped into this 75-year-old retired pastor. His health was failing so badly that his two sisters had to take care of him. But he looked at Billy Graham and his exact words were, I don't have $2 to my name, but I am the happiest man on this island. Billy said, never before was the contrast so stark. One man had seemingly everything he needed, but he lacked one thing. It was love. The other man had very little, but he had everything that he needed. Proverbs 17 says, Better a dry crust eaten in peace than a house filled with feasting and conflict. Nobody wants to eat a dry crust of bread unless you're eating it in peace. And then that's better than a house that's filled with feasting and conflict. What is your house filled with these days? Is it filled with peace? Is it filled with encouragement? Or is it filled with conflict and sarcasm and fighting? What's it filled with? Better, Solomon says, to have a dry crust of bread at a family dinner with people that you love than to be eating a feast at a fancy restaurant with a bunch of coworkers that you don't even really like. It's because relationships trump circumstances every single time. You see, I believe that today God is speaking to some of you. And what God is saying to some of you is it would be better for you to be patient than powerful. And you need to gain control over your temper. And I'm praying that God would do that in your life. For others of you, God is saying, you know what? Just trust me. Just work hard and wait for your opportunity. I know you feel overlooked. I know you wonder when you're going to get your shot and your recognition. But you just need to obey me and trust me. And I believe that God is saying to some of you, it would be better for you to eat a dry crust of bread in a house filled with peace than to have a feast in a house filled with conflict. Let's close and talk, pray to God about that right now. Would you join me? Let's stand together at all of our campuses. And today I want to pray for every single one of you. That some of you need to grow in patience. And you need to get control of your temper. And others of you just need to be reminded that relationships matter more. So God, we just come before you right now. I pray for every single person here. God, I pray for that person who lacks self-control when it comes to their words and their temper. God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would begin to do a work in their life.
and help them gain control. God, I pray for the person who feels overlooked and underappreciated. God, may they know that you notice and you see, and that's all that really matters. And God, I pray for those who our circumstances are pretty good, but our houses are filled with conflict. Right now, by the power of your spirit, I pray for peace over every house, over every townhouse, over every person in their home. God, remind us of what our priorities are in life. That relationships are better than circumstances. God, I thank you for godly wisdom. I thank you that you want the best for our life and that you tell us that there is a better way. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great weekend, everybody.